Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Good morning, church. Glad you're here today. We are in week number four of our Rooted series. First week we talked about the importance of being rooted in Christ. Then we talked about the soils. We begin with the, the different types of soils. The first one was the hard soil, and you remember it. That was the seed that fell on the hard soil, and the birds came and, and got it. Last week we talked about the rocky soil, and it initially began to grow, but then just couldn't get any root, and it died. Today we're going to look at the thorns. The week that the thorns that uh, the seed fell among the thorns and begin to initially grow. And the scripture says uh, the worries of this life choked them out. Choked them out and they either completely died or they just didn't reach maturity. Years ago when it was the first year that Lee and I were married, she was working at Steak and Ale and it was Christmas Eve and she came home and she said, wow, we, we just had a traumatic event happen. I said, what happened? She said, this guy came in with his whole family, a very large man, and he ordered the smallest steak that they had, a little six ounce steak. And he cut that steak in half and put half of it in his mouth. Well, it didn't go down. In fact, it got lodged in his throat and he began to choke. And so the workers, they quickly sprung to action, and they thought, okay, we'll do the Heimlich maneuver on him. He was so large, they couldn't get their arms around him. So two of the workers decided, let's try a double Heimlich maneuver, you know, kind of both on each side. Still couldn't get, get it dislodged. So they bent him over a chair and tried hitting him on, and, and finally it looked like he was just going to die, and he waved goodbye to his family. They'd called the paramedics. They showed up, laid him down on the ground, and then they tried some kind of a wedge maneuver and was able to, you know, push that piece of meat out and, you know, haul him off to the hospital. But he was severely choked to the point his life was being choked out of him. And I want to ask you this morning a question. Are you choking spiritually, so to speak? Is the life being choked completely out of you? The parable that we've been looking at in our Rooted series uh, talks about the soil. And in this parable, Jesus was asked by his own uh, uh, disciples, why do you teach in parables? Well, right after the confrontations began with the, the Pharisees, there was a distinct change in the teaching of Jesus. He started teaching in parables. And parables were more than just an illustration or a nice story, okay? He started teaching in parables so that those that it was meant to be revealed to would hear it, and those that it meant to be con 
you know, hidden from, they wouldn't hear it at all. Some of these parables became so personal and convicting that the Pharisees, in fact, wanted to kill Jesus. So while a, a parable is more than that illustration, he used those parables for two reasons. One, to conceal the truth from some people, and then to reveal the truth to other people. Now, I know you're, why you're thinking, why would Jesus want to conceal the message from anybody? And who's he going to conceal it from? Well, it was concealed from those who re rejected him and his message. Matthew chapter 11, or 13, verse 11 says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." You understand what he's saying here? If you have something you're, and you prove responsible, it's going to be given more. You'll be given more. But if you don't use what you have been given, it will be taken away from you. So if you receive the truth of God's word, you're going to be given more. But if you do not receive it, it's going to be taken away from you. So this parable explains why the whole world, why everybody is not going to be saved. You see... Of those four types of soil that are represented in this parable, there's only one type of soil that produces fruit and grows to maturity. So what's the problem? Is it, is it a problem with the seed? You have to remember it was the same seed that fell on each type of soil. And in each seed, there's a genetic code. So if you have a, a piece of corn, a corn seed, and you plant it in the ground, don't expect to get watermelons. It's not going to happen. The genetic code in that seed says, this is a corn plant. I'm going to plant it, and it's going to produce corn. So the seeds aren't the problem. In fact, I read this week that in King Tut's uh, tomb, they found some seeds, some wheat seeds, that were over 3,000 years old, and they actually had planted those. And now they've developed a whole strain of wheat called King Tut's wheat. 3,000-year-old seeds, they planted them in the ground, and they began to sprout and to grow, and life happened from them. I also found out that this week that a sandbur, now you may wonder, you know, I have some sandburrs in the yard, and I spray them, try to kill them, and then they keep coming back. I don't understand this. A sandbur can lay dormant in the ground three to five years and then sprout and grow. Understand that? It's a difficult thorn to take care of. A, a, a bindweed, those of you who are farmers know about bindweed, that it's kind of a, a difficult problem to deal with. A bindweed seed can lay dormant in the ground for up to 50 years and then sprout and grow. So the problem's not with the seed, the problem is with the soil. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and we'll read our, our passage today. We're going to read three verses, verse 7, and then we'll skip over to verse uh, 18 and 19. Mark 4, verse 7 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. Then verse 18, skip over there. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are 
those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Today we're going to look at this thorny soil, and I believe in the last days, Scripture makes it very evident that the largest uh, uh, the largest amount of soil will be this, the thorny soil. And I believe that this will represent a lot of Christians as well. That's the person who initially receives the Word of God. Maybe they're excited to have the Word of God in their life, and they immediately begin to grow, but then something happens, and they get choked out, and they die. Or they just never produce any fruit. You see, the seed that was on the bare soil, it was easy picking. The birds came and got it, didn't have a chance to grow. The seed that fell in the rocks and in the, among the thorns, Satan had to change his strategy because these seeds began to grow initially. And so he had to change the strategy because, okay, now that they begin to grow, I just don't want them to reach maturity. So we need to do something to stop those plants from reaching full maturity and producing fruit. So, change his plan, and now he uses the distraction of this life as thorns and weeds to choke out life from that new believer once it begins to grow. And, and essentially what we have is total crop failure. They never produce fruit. They never get to full maturity. We're in football season right now, and one of the, the big things that football teams do each and every week is they study game films. They'll watch game films of the teams that they're playing this week. Maybe they'll have watched several games that that team played, and they'll find out this team's tendencies. They'll find out its strengths and weaknesses and think, okay, we can do this because they're weak in this area. They're strong in this area. We're going to run away from that strength. And they learn their tendencies. Satan has studied the game film of your life, and he knows your tendencies. He knows your strengths and weaknesses. And whether this is fair or not, he's going to exploit your weaknesses every opportunity that he gets. And he knows what they are. There are three types of weeds and thorns that are specifically mentioned here in the Scripture, and I've added another one that's kind of a subcategory of one of them. So we're actually going to cover four different types of thorns real quickly this morning. First is the worries of this life. The worries of this life. We live in an age of worry, and in fact, if you speak to medical professionals, there are more people right now that are on prescription antidepressants for anxiety and worry than at any other point in time in history. So we're worried a lot. And in our, in our society, we have a lot to worry about, don't we? We worry about our jobs. If you don't have a job, you worry about getting a job. If you have a job, you're worried about, am I going to keep it? What's the company going to do? Am I going to get laid off? We worry about the economy. What's the price of gas going to do? What's the price of this? How's it going to affect me? We worry about our, our retirements, our pens, pensions and investments. Am I going to have enough to retire on? Or when I do retire, am I going to have to make some drastic cuts? We worry about the condition of our country and, and the politics and how all that's influenced. We worry about the future and how that's going to affect our children and grandchildren. 
we get sick, we're worried about, oh, it could be something really serious. I got this pain. I, I bet it's this. And we worry about a lot of things. And I can honestly tell you, we're never going to be free of worry. We have a lot of things to worry about that can distract us. But Philippians 4, verse 6, and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. And if we would do that, I could guarantee you a lot of people would end up off of antidepressants because of this worry and anxiety. But we let the worries of this life consume us and choke out our spiritual growth. And literally, we are choking the life out of ourselves. And all the things that we worry about, I think, essentially come down to three different types of worry. Number one, we worry about things that have already happened. Sometimes we hear something that happened and we begin to worry, well, what are we going to do about that? Can we change it? We can't undo words. We can't undo actions and responses. You can't put toothpaste back in a tube once you squeeze it out, can you? It won't work. So we worry about things that have already happened. We also worry about things that will inevitably happen like dying or growing old. We spend a lot of money going to, to gyms and trying to, to find the fountain of youth so that we don't grow old. Well, let me tell you, it's going to happen eventually. And if the Lord tarries, we will die at some point in time. So all the time we spend worrying about them, it's inevitably going to happen anyway, right? And the third thing is we worry about things that will never happen. We assume the worst case scenario most of the time, don't we? There's a situation we think, oh my gosh, this could happen. And we always immediately jump to the worst case scenario. I've got this ache or this pain. We immediately assume that it's some kind of life-threatening disease or illness, something that's incurable. So we have the worries of this life, but then we also have the distractions of this life. And this may be what gets most well-meaning Christians. And I don't believe that most Christians start out to be a, a plant among thorns. Like I said, I do believe that this, is, this type of soil represents the largest number of Christians living in the last days. Because we get so busy. The busyness of life gets a lot of us. We run from here to there. We chase our kids, our grandkids. We go from this activity to that activity. And then when we finally do get to be at home, we spend too much time in front of the TV or on our computers or cell phones. See, we have a lot of things that keep us distracted. And too often we allow our lives to become so busy that we choke out the Word of God. That we choke out our relationship with Jesus because of these things. I want to ask you, is it wrong to watch the Kansas City Chiefs or the Kansas City Royals? You know, those are America's teams. Is it wrong to, to watch those guys? Or, or is it wrong to watch an appropriate TV show or maybe to read a fiction novel? Is it wrong to landscape your yard, plant a garden? Is it wrong to go out to eat with some friends or maybe go on a vacation with your family? 
to enjoy something that you like to do? Is it wrong to spend some time on Facebook or Twitter or, or watching YouTube videos? The answer is no. In and of themselves, those things are not wrong. They're not evil. But if we keep piling more and more things into our life, the priority that we claim, and most of us as believers claim that Jesus is a priority, we crowd out with the busyness of this life. Deciding we're going to take our kids to be involved in every activity under the sun because we don't want them to miss out. And all the while, we are choking our spiritual life right out of us. If you look at our society, I think we're reaping what we planted. The violence in our society, the breakdown of, uh, of homes, the brokenness of families, a society that lacks values and, and standards, I believe that can all be directly traced back to the busyness of life that caused the breakdown in families. I, I told Kyle Bergdahl this morning that I think that we can trace it back to one thing, the invention of the microwave. Now, I've not ever read that, but this is my thought. The invention of the microwave has begun the destruction of the family because while it was a good thing, now, all of a sudden, we eat meals, not because we need to eat meals, because we have to eat meals. So see, used to the family meal became a, a gathering place. You ate with the family and you had conversations, actual real conversations, not text conversations, but actually face-to-face -face conversations with people at the dinner table. And now we've got the microwave so that... It, we can get something out of a package, a box, or a can, and pop it in the microwave, and we can stand up and eat it in the kitchen in front of the TV, and then get on to our next activity. So I think the microwave kind of destroyed families. That was the beginning of it. But seriously, we allow the busyness of life to choke out our spiritual life. And I believe that many professing Christians have great intentions, and they're good people, and they don't mean to get choked out, but they just allow the busyness of this life to choke them out. Well, let's move on to the next one. The deceitfulness of wealth. Deceitfulness of wealth. I think this is an area where a lot of people struggle. How much is enough? And I believe that we have bought into this lie that if we have just a little bit more, then we'll be happy. Then our lives will be fulfilled. If I could just buy this new pickup or this new car or motorcycle or, or boat or house or have these clothes then I would be happy. You can fill in the blank because we seek happiness from a lot of these things. We believe that these things will actually offer us what God has already offered us. Security and freedom. Those are the things that God has already offered us, but we believe that we can find those things in the wealth of this world. We believe that the lie that has been perpetuated to us that, hey, I'll take care of you. I'll give you security, I'll make you significant, just have a little bit more, a little bit more. So 
So winning the battle with money is really a big deal for a lot of believers. In fact, it was such a big deal that Jesus speaks on the subject of money more than he speaks about just about any other thing. Because he knew where our hearts were. He knew the, the lure of wealth and money was going to have in our lives. And see, the deceitfulness of wealth stops the seed from growing and maturing. Well, the last thing that Jesus says that a seed can choke on, that can choke out a plant, is the desire for other things. The desire for other things. Now, let's just be honest. We like our stuff. We like our things, don't we? No, I think if we're honest, we love our things. There are a lot of things that are good and appropriate to desire, and the Lord never asks us not to have any things. But the problem is that it isn't that we just would like to have these things, that we desire these things, and we feel we can't live without these things. He didn't say, hey, I want you to sell everything and own no possession and live like a monk. In fact, Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 17, God is rich in mercy and supplies us with all things to enjoy. So if you have blessings of a, a, a car, a house, clothes to wear, motorcycle to ride, those are blessings that come from God and you need to remember where they came from. That He gave those things to you for you to enjoy, not to choke out your spiritual life and not to become so desirous of those things that that replaces your desire for the Lord. And we see that attitude among little children, don't we? I want it and I want it right now, but, and we don't like that when we see that among kids and it's even less attractive when we see that among adults. You see, long before the internet, Sears used to send out this catalog. Let me just see a hand. If those of you can remember when Sears used to send out the Christmas Wish catalog. Okay, that was before Amazon, before eBay. We would get these Christmas Wish catalogs. You know, I don't know if you read in the paper that Sears is getting ready to close a bunch of stores. And they said, the article I read said they were the Amazon of their day, which is true. But we'd get these Christmas wish catalogs. We'd go through them. They had a huge toy section. So you could go through there and you could take a pen or crayon and circle what you wanted and maybe even bend the page back so your parents could find that. So, you know, if they were looking or if you're smart, just leave the page open, you know, with, with a note, you know, Christmas, you know, idea. Alan would like this. Now we don't get the Sears Wish catalog anymore, but I get a Bass Pro flyer, Cabela's flyer. I get these hot deals of the day in my email of stuff that is on some super sale that I really don't need. I can do the one-click ordering from Amazon, prime shipping, you know, we can get what we want. Stuff that we really don't need but we want and if you go out and look in our, our storage sheds or in our garages and our outbuildings and even maybe in our closets they are full of stuff and sometimes we don't even know what we have but we love this stuff and we sure don't want to get rid of it do we let me tell you one of these days you're 
you're going to leave that stuff and somebody's going to throw that stuff away. I can promise you. <laughs> if any of you have ever had to go clean out a house from your parents or grandparents, the stuff that they valued and loved so much, guess what? It goes to the dump. Stuff that we love, that we can't part with. You know, I, I came to the realization, in fact, I was talking to, to Angie backstage about this, that looking around my storage shed, most of that stuff in there is mine. A boat's mine, a motorcycle's mine, my three-wheeler. Of course, I've got a lot of stuff that I n need for the lawn, you know, and power tools. I've got two chainsaws, two weed, weed blowers, weed eaters. I've got a, a, a shelf with tools and stuff. I've got a lot of hunting equipment, and I look at all the fishing equipment I've got. A lot of this stuff is mine. But guys, I want to talk to you for a minute. Honestly, if you look around the garages in your homes, now, women, they may buy some clothes and have a lot of clothes in a closet and may decorate their home, but you look at the stuff. Most of it's going to belong to us, guys. Stuff that we don't need, but we desire. And it chokes out our spiritual life when we start desiring those things more than we desire God. We need to get rid of the weeds out of our life. Because that craving for things becomes so important that it chokes out the Word of God. I believe that we need to take a self-examination. Examination of our lives that should include some questions like, what takes up most of the space in my life? Ouch. Guys, think about that one. What takes up the space in my life? What occupies most of my time and attention? Where does the majority of my income go. It may end up, well, I spent a lot of money on my kids. And now you have allowed your kids to become the busyness of life because we have to provide what we think is everything for them. And what we've done is crowded out our relationship with God. What is gained top priority in my life? Is it the Lord or is it these things? And when we're honest, I believe that we're going to find that we have some weeds and thorns in our life that are, are choking out our spiritual life. When we moved to our house six years ago, I was really envious of Tom Sargent's lawn across the street. Our yard had a lot of weeds, a lot of bare spots, dead grass, and it just didn't look very good. So I, I, I said, Tom, what's the secret of having a lawn that looks like this. I thought he was going to tell me, hey, you put this chemical or you do this. He, but he said, grow good grass. Really? Well, yeah, he said, if you grow good grass, you won't have weeds. So Tom, I'll help you. So he helped me fix sprinklers. I had some zones that weren't working, sprinkler heads. Then he showed me how to take a rake and scratch up the soil and throw some fescue seed down and cover it up. He said, now you got to keep this wet. He goes, we got to get you on a plan to fertilize. So he gave me a plan to fertilize and, and he said, you need to overseed twice a year, spring and, and fall. He said, and if you'll do these things and 
he said, you'll have good grass. And so for the next two or three years, I spent a lot of time nurturing the grass. And you know, I have not had to spray for weeds in the last three years because I grow good grass now. Not because I found the fountain of life or, or, or the secret or anything, but I grow good grass. And if you have good grass, the weeds have nowhere to take root. You see, when we love the things of our life more than God, it's going to start choking your spiritual life. And some of us may be choking on our own wallet. Your life is going to reflect what you've planted. So I want to ask you today, what's the condition of the soil of your heart today? Is there anything choking you and preventing you from growing to maturity? See, if you begin to physically choke, let me tell you, it's time for radical action, isn't it? It isn't time to think, mm, you know, I've got something caught in my windpipe. I wonder what I should do. If you're choking and you're dying, it's time for radical action, isn't it? To do whatever it takes. To have somebody beat on your chest or squeeze you or whatever it takes. Radical action means that if you're choking spiritually, you may need a spiritual Heimlich maneuver. That means to remove the thorns and the weeds, whatever it is that's choking your life out. Jesus said, John chapter 15, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's what we need to do, friends. We need to get radical, and we need to get rid of some weeds and thorns from our life so that we can continue to grow. The Lord wants you to make it to maturity. He doesn't want you to be among those plants that are pulled up and thrown in the fire and burned. That's the place that he has reserved for the, the devil and his angels, not for the children that he loves, not for the believers that make it to maturity. Friends, it's time to get radical, isn't it? Time to get radical about what is choking your life.